0: A reality is just what we tell each other it is. Sane and insane could easily switch places if the insane were to become the majority. You would find yourself locked in a padded cell, wondering what happened to the world. Just like how many of us feel crazy wondering what happened to the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing the final installment in John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy, 1995's In the Mouth of Madness, directed by Carpenter and written by Michael DeLuca, that I often forget about uh, Michael right. Luca did some screenplays. Me too, I know. Uh, and of course, um, if you've been paying attention to our recent episodes, we've been teasing the fact that we're trying to get a guest, that it's going to be someone awesome and horror-centric, and that will, we'll, you know, just like it's Halloween, we want, just like we had B.J. Vareau with uh, Event Horizon, we wanted someone for In the Mouth of Madness, and it's just James and I. Now, we did uh, we did have Jerry Smith of The Pod and the Pendulum. You may remember him from the excellent conversation we had uh, with The Mist. He had to bow out for some uh, personal reasons. We certainly are wishing him the best, and Um, true story guys and girls and everyone in between Mm -hmm. if you're trying to book a horror guest in the month of October and you didn't plan Uh ahead it's a little difficult
1: (laughs) yeah I think next next time we we have to do at least six months in advance because we had some other people that we were interested in maybe just coming on just Mm -hmm. doing whatever and then like oh wait October ooh (laughs) yeah probably not I'm like Okay, cool. Like, you know, so, yeah. We, we live and we learn, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, the um, certainly we, we, were, we had been, you know, we had all sorts of ideas. But it would have been better if we had these ideas, yeah, maybe six months ago. So it, it's just James and I, but maybe that's uh, horrifying enough for some of you. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about, um, as I just said, In the Mouth of Madness we've been building up to this one. We talked about The Thing a while back. We talked about The Prince of Darkness. And now, um, you know, it's a little bit sad that we're to the end of the Apocalypse trilogy. But this is this is a a special one for Halloween that we wanted to get into. And there's so much we could talk about for this one because, you know, it sort of exists as its own pretty good film. It -hmm. exists within the context of the third in a uh, the Apocalypse Trilogy, which I actually do think there's, like, you know, it builds to something. This is sort of the culmination of the first two. And then also yeah. as, a, as a Lovecraftian um, adaptation, basically, the, not based on any text, but certainly the most overtly Lovecraft in the sense of, you know, you have references to the old ones in here. Um, mm-hmm. Even, you know, the back... I, I still have the old, like, DVD back from, you know, 20 years ago. So it still yeah. has, you know, references to Lovecraft on the description in the back. And then, of course... Uh, Sam Neill's character when he is reading from a Sutter Kane's you know actual text th- those are actual quotes some of them are from direct directly pulled from Lovecraft's text so there's a lot to talk about uh in this one and uh James I'll let you kind of dictate where where should we start for our discussion I mean we could start right
1: well I mean like the the Lovecraft I mean we could even talk about the Lovecraft um adjacent <laughs> ideas and whatnot where yeah, it's, you know, one, you have Sutter Kane, an author who is more popular than Stephen King in this world, in this mm-hmm. alternate, as John Carpenter himself in the commentary says, this alternate reality of where Sutter Kane is this super popular author who is missing and his, his words, his, you know, his text drive people mad. <laughs> you know when they read it, especially when they read more into it and discover these creatures, these slimy, goopy creatures <laughs> that are, that are referenced, and you know, th- there's all these little nods to you know, like the breathing door in Sutter Kane's lair. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that he thought, and it's and it's a, to me, it's a great scene when he's describing. That he be- that at, at one time he believed that he was just writing writing this silly nonsense like these words you know, and then realizing they were speaking to him. The mm-hmm. old ones were speaking to him to find a way to escape and basically have promised him godhood if if he does this and he does you know mm-hmm. he he doesn't even like it. It seems like this this person decided long ago. You know what? Yeah, I'm cool with that that's fine. I don't care about the rest of the world because yep. I'm going to be a god, you know? And the whole idea, like, and Carpenter speaks about it briefly in the commentary too, that there's a scene later on when, um, Sam Neill's John Trent is running away from these sea type creature, like, you know, Cthulhu-esque creatures yeah. that are coming out from the void. It's and wall of monsters. And what's great is that when he's looking into the void at first, and um, she, you know, the, what's her name? I can't remember. Styles. Julie Carmen. Yeah, Styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Julie Carmen's character is speaking about reading the text from the book, what he's doing at that exact, exact moment. Yeah. And, that the, and then Carpenter even says, you know, characters in Lovecraft, when they see these things, these monsters that they can't describe. They go mad. They go crazy. They cannot comprehend what they're seeing, and Mm -hmm. and I think that's what works in this film, especially with like the creatures and stuff. That it's very brief. Like we don't really see much of them. And Carpenter even says that even though K and B did, you know, you know K and B Productions, Greg Nicotero and company did amazing job, and it's all practical. Mm -hmm. They cut more out throughout the film, like the editing room, like he said we did that to so to give you that glimpse to almost give it more of a lovecraft feel where did i see that thing like like what was in that mouth like what what kind how many teeth did that thing have like <laughs> yeah. how many tentacles were coming out and this is a film that like you know i'm glad there's like a few tentacles here and there you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know but but yeah it's like the lovecraft stuff even though it's not like hitting you over the head with it cuz if you don't know lovecraft I think you can appreciate this film. Oh, yeah. But if you do know Lovecraft and his work, I think you'll find a lot more to, like, actually dig and, like, love. And, like, And I mean, watching this film for, like, the 10th, 12th time over the years, I mean, hell, I noticed stuff that I didn't notice before where, like, I always thought the eyes looked weird. But then, look, like, at the new Blu-ray, I'm looking at the eyes, how they were, like, splitting into two. Mm-hmm. I've never really, like, saw that until the new Scream Factory Blu-ray. I'm like, oh, wow. The details <laughs> actually kind of crazy where it's like they're almost becoming something else
0: right. after reading the text, you know? And I love that, you know, mm. about it. it, it and it's, it's interesting to me watching this movie. And I, I've seen this movie a bunch of times before, So, I, but I watched it again because I wanted to brush up for this conversation. We have said in the past, specifically when it came to The Prince of Darkness, that that was – probably the most Lovecraftian film we've covered on this one Mm. on this podcast, I think supplanted by in the mouth of madness because not just of the overt references, but even if one were to watch this film without having an intimate knowledge of the kinds of stories Lovecraft writes, it is a blueprint for an HP Lovecraft short story in the sense of, um, let's even look at it structurally. It begins with a guy in an insane asylum Telling his story to like a, a, a third person party, which is a lot of the, his stories begin that way. Hey, I'm about to go insane or jump out of a window. But first, I got to tell you what happened to me and how I got here. Um, the, the protagonist at the center of the story is a, a man who approaches everything with a, a rational or with a rational worldview. He's an insurance investigator, so everything has to make sense and, and be dictated by logic to him. And what causes him to go insane is a recognition that the what he knows of reality is not actually reality, shattering his limited logical worldview. And then, of course, horrific things that exist both immediately in front of him, this wall of monsters, um, this old Mrs. Pickman and whatever the <laughs> hell is happening in that hotel that she runs. Oh my god, yeah. And also just staring figuratively and literally into a void and just thinking and just being uh, um confronted with this idea of your reality is an illusion is a construction and we've uh I've quoted from this uh this Den of Geek article before about John Carpenter's apocalypse trilogy which talks about you know all three of them and kind of the themes that they represent and the thing was the destruction of the individual prince of darkness was the destruction of uh, god or religion and then for them you know uh, and for everyone i guess in the mouth of madness represents the destruction of reality which as i talked about in the at the beginning it's a culmination if your individual self or your construction of that is destroyed and then on a, on a, uh, a micro level and then on a macro level if your sense of theology, structure, moral, philosophy, if that's destroyed, the imminent uh, result of that is the destruction of reality, which this movie deals with. And yeah, there are some tentacles thrown in there, but as supplement to the existential horror, which is already playing out. So it's a, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting movie. And like, I just wish that more I have to imagine horror filmmakers have seen this because Carpenter is so influential. His Apocalypse trilogy right. is so influential. So before, you know, you, you just be like, let's throw a weird mask on someone and give them a tentacle and some slime, like, or consult the text here, please. Yeah,
1: and, and it's true. And even like going back to the commentary, um, he he even speaks about when they made this film. And even since then, even he hasn't seen many films like this. And he's and he's kind of right, like where, you know, it's a guy. Just his reality is breaking down. He's he's so, like you said, he, you know, and, and and like he's cynical. Like he's like he doesn't trust anybody because he's an insurance sales, you know, insurance um, investigator. So like he has to find bullshit artists <laughs> because he's he's the best one of all. Mm-hmm. Um, so like every time you think, you know, every time he sees something weird or like weird children that are creepy or like the whatever it is he's like oh oh, these are great actors you know these are great special effects like like it's a film being made mm. and because he's trying to find a rationale of it all like what what can it be and then once that reality is broken he's he breaks you know he actually like like to me this <laughs> you know kind of jumping back and forth but the scene that he breaks completely is the blue bus where, <laughs> yeah. where he I think at that, that moment even though he's already gone through hell that's when he realizes Kane has such power mm-hmm. especially over him that he can make the world his vision just in a blink of an eye mm-hmm. or and and I wanted to ask you um do you think that um, John Trent you know, is a real person in this world, or do you think he's a creation of Sutter Kane himself, like he says he is? Because he does allude that I created you. Mm-hmm. To basic and, and then when like to give an example, like one of the beginning scenes when we start to see how crazy this shit is. <laughs> um, when the um, Sutter Kane's agent mm-hmm. comes with the axe and it's like, you know, you know, do you read Sutter Kane? And tries to kill him. He says, you know, Sutter Kane tells Trent that when the agent read the text and he read about Sam Neill's John Trent, mm-hmm. he wanted to kill him so he could stop it. Yep. And that's like, because re- like, imagine someone telling you that you're just a creation, like, you, you know, you were created by this author. Mm-hmm. That would drive you mad, too. Like wait a second, I have a whole life that I remember, but or did this guy write my life that I think I lived? Mm-hmm. Which gives it another level of just this sense of dread and like. So, so at the end, when he's just completely mad, he, I think he, I think the funniest thing, even though he's saying he's not mad, I he, I believe him because he's not crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? He's not like like that's why I think it's just. It gives it a different level of oh my god, this guy doesn't exist mm-hmm. in a way. You know what I mean? He had to exist just to bring that that manuscript to you know his because because Kane couldn't go because he was going to become an old one himself. Yes. You know I don't know I I just think it gives it a different level of just this I don't know a lot of films like well like you said are. Lovecraftian only in the sense that they try to make it goopy or tentacles. This has the <laughs> dread and yeah. dep- like depressing um, idea of we don't we don't matter. Like there's su- there's other stuff that can just devour us at any moment. And what does it matter if if you're just a creation of this guy? Like Styles, oh she doesn't exist anymore because he wrote her out of the book. Mm-hmm what the hell like (laughs) like we see them talking but yet did that even happen right or is that just in his head because of the the creation of this book you know what i
0: mean it's really weird right like it's i don't know i just love that about it you know i mean it's yeah it's strange to think about because is he a real person or is he a a creation of of sutter kane and it's weird because I my inclination is to say he's both, but then by being mm-hmm. a creation of Sutter Kane, he then can't be a real person, especially because it seems like, especially at the end, when yeah. uh Trent or Sam Neill has gone into the movie theater and is mm-hmm. watching the movie adaptation of the book, and Which what you is are he- yeah, and what you are hearing is is things that we have already witnessed ha- have watched happen. So it would seem as though, yeah, like, the entire reality is all fiction. And it's just, and he is, he has accepted it to a certain degree. And that's why he's kind of, like, there watching and kind of laughing. Because he he's, he has accepted this idea of, like, yep, I am fake. And not that he's cool with it. No, because he, he, he cries, too.
1: He laughs and then he cries.
0: Yeah. Like, because
1: he's just like oh my god, he, he wasn't lying to me. I am... That's just me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my god. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, because it, it's, it's that thing, it is the perfect uh, depiction of what happens to a Lovecraft protagonist when confronted with the idea of your reality, your very existence is not just an illusion, but insignificant. You only exist to further... A cause that has already been predetermined and predestined. Right. Free will is not a thing. I, no. I mean, it's the thing he's trying to he's trying to get rid of the text, the physical text, and it keeps coming back to him because he only exists to be a vessel to bring Sutter Kane's final masterpiece into the world. That's all yes. that he exists to do. And when you're confronted with that, it's like, yeah, you can either deny it, or you can accept it, and denying it is well i mean how can you really um and, and i think that's the thing of the denial is the 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 protagonists that choose to commit suicide in the sense of i don't want to live with this i reject it or accepting it you go insane because how can your finite mind like it, yeah it, it's just that idea of how can like i mean if you're looking at an actual physical book i'm sorry i'm kind of going all over the place here but if yeah. you're looking at an actual physical book how can the words on that page comprehend that there is more outside of the page that puts them there? So of course, yeah. that, that thing is that intelligence, whatever you want to call it, is going to crack and is going to go insane as Samuel does. It's a very interesting concept that um, I, and I'm glad that uh, this movie, I think goes just far enough in being meta and in being self-referential mm-hmm. and, and just kind of, I, you know, it's great. Cause I'm thinking almost as though, like, let's put a fictional John Carpenter, quote unquote, fictional, quote unquote, John Carpenter in this universe where it's like, yes. And, uh, so if we accept the reality that, um, this world has been written by this guy, then we also have to accept the larger truth that then he has also written the fact that there is going to be a movie adaptation, and then right. also that movie adaptation is this, what you are watching right now. The implication being we are all Sutter Kane's creations. We right. are, we are watching exactly what Sutter Kane wanted us to watch because that's what he wanted. And it's just kind of like a, wow, that's a, that's a, that's heavy. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to accept right. that. Like,
1: like, yeah. Like if more people actually saw this movie in theaters, like, like it should have been, you know, yeah, it would have been that effect of, us, you know, sitting in the theater watching this film going, okay, this is creepy, but okay. Then watching him go crazy and then watching the movie, watching him watch the movie that we just watched. (laughs) Like, I I, and I think that's kind of why this movie didn't hit hard, like didn't hit well when it came out. I I mean, it it barely made its budget back. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a bomb, but it wasn't a hit. And the thing is, that's something that Carpenter has always gone through his career, that his films tend to, hit better later on in life. Yeah. Like, people re reconnect with them and say, you know, look looked the whole Apocalypse Trilogy. It's It feels the same way. Like, Prince of Darkness was, you know, a mod- modest hit, but not, nothing crazy. Years later now, it's like, you know, some people tout it, like, even better, you know, than whatever. And then The Thing bombed. <laughs> and people hated it. And then, you know, you look at stuff like that and you watch all three of these films, and you can go... Why would people hate these films? Like even <laughs> if they don't like the film, like you have to appreciate it like each one on some different level depending on what you're looking for like and I still don't understand that. Like, you know, I got I got I got to understand like this film like and we were talking before, it's very 90s. <laughs> it is. I and I agree. Like like the even like him, you know, Carpenter doing a music with I forgot the other guy's name. It's very like more like metal-esque yeah. like mm-hmm. like riffs. But I think it kind of fits and it's, it's kind of also funny because it feels like what Dario Argento did later, like in like the late 80s, early 90s, he started putting a lot more metal music in his films. It wasn't as Goblin-esque or Keith Emerson, like more melodic, like creepiness. Mm-hmm. It was like balls to the wall. This is this is fucking hardcore. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's kind of cheesy, but I kind of like like the cheesiness of it. I guess I, I and I love the the theme for this movie. It's just so like, it's a very rockin' theme. Mm-hmm. You know, especially him playing it live. It's it's Chef's Kiss. It's beautiful. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I do wonder about this, like if this film had come out just two, three. Five years later, because, like, just one year after this would be Scream, which mm. really kick-started this idea of we are going to analyze and deconstruct horror tropes, and we are going to start looking at the horror genre in a new way. And then, you know, ten years later was Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which was, like, you know, took that to an even further extent. So I wonder, this movie, not that it's deconstructing anything, but it is at least approaching horror in a different way by having that those those levels of meta and by having, you know, be, of even subtly implying that like, you, us as an audience we are all in this fictional world as well, which even the, if John Carpenter and DeLuca don't believe that, I'm assuming they don't believe that, but at least by having a film that espouses kind of a sense of nihilism, almost of mm-hmm. Existential Cynicism. Um, that's not a movie in 1995 that I think many people wanted to see because here I've just called it up the top five grossing movies of 1995. Okay. We have uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, a, a very good movie. Yes, yes. A, a solid action film, but also just kind of, um, you know.
1: Popcorn a, Fair.
0: Yeah, exactly. We have Toy Story, very happy, very, you know, an animated Disney, you no know, Pixar coming onto the scene. Apollo 13, also a great film, but a very inspirational, uplifting, uh, humans mm-hmm. overcoming tragedy. Yes. Um, Goldeneye, once again, James Bond, Popcorny. Coming back to the, the forefront, yes. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, uh, kids-inspired, historical, revisionist animated film, Pocahontas, at number five. Oof. Well,
1: Disney again, so.
0: Right. You know. And, and it, which is also interesting, because having said this, like, in there at the number seven spot is seven, uh, which is a pretty wait in no, in, in the number seven spot. Num, number seven worldwide, it made three hundred twenty seven plus million dollars in in nineteen ninety five. Wow. So,
1: and that's uh, a nihilistic film.
0: No, it, it certainly is, and yeah. uh, I mean, but also <laughs> having the star power of Brad Pitt, yes. I think, helps. Yes. And and you know, he wasn't Brad Pitt like he is now, but he was still Brad Pitt. Morgan Freeman was certainly uh, you know a, a character to to pay attention to as well. But you can see how there's you know when it comes to this film in the mouth of madness. is a sort of like, what what are what are audiences? If you are not a diehard horror film, if you are not a diehard John Carpenter film, which also box office record of his past indicates he's probably not a uh, you know mm-hmm. a, a big draw. Who is this drawing in? You know <laughs> who is who is who is supposed to be the target audience for this movie? Uh, and having said that, yeah. it makes me even more appreciative that this movie even came to fruition to begin with because that's what Sutter Kane wanted probably.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. It had to come to come to uh, reality, uh, but and, and that's the thing. Like it, it's all these weird pieces that yeah, you would you wouldn't think would like would come out, especially at that time. But I think every so often you have a film like this that, and, and again, it's it's a new line cinema film. Yeah, and they, Carpenter and Sandy King Carpenter talk extensively about how this film no matter what was going to get made, but the budget kept getting cut down because mm-hmm. as they said, Bob Shea is like any producer and that heads a, a studio where he's like, Oh, well you could do it for 20. Well now you could do it for 15. <laughs> oh, you could do it for 15. Well, you could do it for 13. And the funny thing about this film is that the reason why a lot of this, the, um, the scenery looks cool and weird is they filmed it in the Toronto area, and the reason why they went to Canada, and and this is what makes me love both John Carpenter and Sandy King Carpenter. They, they allude to the fact that New Line wanted to make this film without unions. Okay. For che- you know, to make it cheaper. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine, whatever. Kind of fucked up, but whatever. <laughs> so they they you know Carpenter and Sandy say we wanted you know they said okay well let's do it in canada because we get a tax break and all this stuff and, like, and of course they say bob shay and, and company were like oh that's great great idea let's do it in front and then john goes little did they know that canada is a unionized country <laughs> and we wanted to get over on them so we know our people would get the right pay <laughs> but because of the exchange rate always changing we could kind of like make the most out of the dollar mm-hmm. at the time. And I was like, wow, that's actually pretty badass that they said, well, fuck you. Like, I, I, we know you want to make it for less money. Well, OK, fine. We can do that. But we're still going to get our people paid what they should get paid. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually like to me. And, and it was a, and they said it's a mixture of like Canadian filmmakers and, you know, American filmmakers kind of getting together and just making this weird monster, you know, crazy movie that, sure. and I'm, and you know what, and I kind of love that, like it's John Carpenter saying, well, fuck you. Like <laughs> I'm going to do it my way. Oh, it, it, you think it's your way, but it's really still my way. Sure. And I think that's why, but yeah, like you said, how, you know, the script, you know, by Michael DeLuca, which it's funny thinking that, wow, he, he actually wrote screenplays at one point, like yeah. he made one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets, which is funny but then, yeah, now he's a big-time producer, man. And, like, it's just, what the hell? Leo? And he also wrote the story for Judge Dredd. <laughs> okay. And Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, which to me is the worst Freddy movie, but to each their own. But, you know, this one is is probably the tops of his uh, few screenplays that he did. But it, you could tell Michael DeLuca, like, understands Lovecraft, but... But then again, Carpenter says that the screenplay changed a lot Mm -hmm. in the filming. So who knows how much is Carpenter and other people's ideas kind of fleshing out and how much is Michael DeLuca's. I I would like to read the original screenplay for this film. Oh, yeah. See how Lovecraftian it is or maybe how not Lovecraftian it is. I don't know.
0: But here's the thing, James. Yes. (laughs) If you were reading the screenplay, would you be prepared – for there to be like interior apartment day james mccormick opens the screenplay to in the mouth of madness and then you would go mad and i wouldn't want to see that happen to you
1: no but
0: would i go mad or would I go oh it all makes sense now (laughs) james just kind of like scratches his chin like yeah all right that makes sense yeah i'm I'm like you think you would wrote me a better like you know career choice but you know fine yeah yeah, whatever it's (laughs) the the uh, the the glaring um, mistake or the, the glaring proof that this uh, that this film in our reality was not written by Sutter Kane, who <sighs> in his universe is more popular than Stephen King, is the fact that uh, this movie tanked. Nobody saw it. I, I actually now I got yeah. inspired, and so I looked up John Carpenter's top grossing films of all yes. time. and and it's funny because I'm on Wikipedia, so this is you know this is not exactly the you know the highest journalistic standards. No. Uh, it ranks 1 through 14 and doesn't even list in the mouth of madness on this list. Wow, so. Um, according to it, and by it I mean Wikipedia, not uh, Pennywise the Clown. <laughs> um, number one rank is Halloween, which makes sense. Yes. Um, and its lifetime gross, it says 47 million. I have to assume that was at the time it came out. Mm-hmm. Last on the list, Big Trouble in Little China, 11.1 million. Okay. Um. According to Box Office Mojo, in the Mouth of Madness, less than nine million. Yeah, eight point nine, and it, it would cost. Ultimately, it cost eight million to
1: make. Yeah, I think thirteen million Canadian. I don't know. It like I said again, it kept changing the budget. So like, you got like twelve million dollars cut from the budget. Yeah. Just to make this film, and like, and Carpenter, and 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 Carpenter's known for many films not getting made that he really wanted to get made like mm-hmm. a creature from the black lagoon remake that he wanted to do years ago. Right. Which I think would have been fun and cool, but um, yeah, it's kind of a miracle this film got made and that it's like the, one of the lowest ranked, like, okay. In that top 14 mm-hmm. is, is a uh, memoirs of an invisible man on that list. It was, it was on there. So <laughs> that film got made more.
0: How the hell? Like I mean it it allegedly in the mouth of madness made less money than The Ward and The Ward is not a good movie.
1: No, I I remember getting to see that in a when I was in my writing days and uh got to see it in advanced screening and I was so excited. Oh, a new Carpenter film. Yes. And then leaving that film going, uh uh Carpenter, <laughs> just John, just I, I understand. You just want to smoke weed and play video games. And I understand that, okay? <laughs> sure. Because that, that film was not good. I did buy that Blu-ray for really cheap recently. Just at one point I'm going to rewatch it just to see how bad it is. Oh, boy. Because maybe it's not as bad. Maybe, Maybe like a lot of these films that people did not like at one point, it'll grow in time. I don't think it will.
0: But maybe I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be curious if you do rewatch it to hear what you think, because now yeah. uh, spoilers if no one has seen the uh, the ward. But um, I liked the ward better when it was called Identity. That's, <laughs>
1: um, that's kind of what I remember, too, that it was like exactly the same movie. Yeah.
0: Um, and I, I remember being very disappointed. But even looking at his IMDb resume, this seems to be like in the mouth of madness seems mm-hmm. to signal and I don't know how much control he had in this. Maybe after this, he wasn't given a choice in a lot of project, uh, projects he was given. or that. But, I mean, you have In the Mouth of Madness, which, great movie, we all kind of love. And then the same year, Village of the Damned, which I admit I, I haven't seen. But no one really talks about Village of the Damned. And no. then the, his subsequent titles after that, Escape from L.A., Vampires, Ghosts of Mars, both of which I know people have. There's a fondness for those movies. I I don't have a fondness for them. Um, his two Masters of Horror episodes, which I actually do really like. Yeah, The Ward, and that's after, and that's like five years after Masters of Horror, The Ward comes out, and then, that's and then he kind of calls it quits after that. So like there there does seem to be a decline in the quality of his output after this movie, but is that how much of that is him just being like, "Listen, I, I, I can't make the movies I want to make. They only let me make these," or how much of it is just kind of him slowly, kind of like, you know, not being not being at the top of his game anymore? I'm not sure. I'd be curious about that.
1: Yeah, that that that's a that's a good, you know, like you said, there's there's fondness for a, like even for Escape from L.A. and I, you know, I think it's fun, but like not good. Like, and that's the thing that a lot of those films have fun. Moments in them mm-hmm. and fun ideas and fun like you know okay I can see that being better in a like a if, like Ghost of Mars is a cool concept mm-hmm. and there are some scenes in that you go okay I see what he was trying to do but then the budget limitations and you know but again it, Ghost of Mars is him making kind of like a another Western film mm-hmm. yeah him trying you know like but it. It doesn't work really well. But vampires, you know, some of the violence and some, you know, the idea of this vampire, like king, basically, that's just so powerful Mm -hmm. that can walk through daylight and blah, blah, blah. But then you have James Woods being a homophobic, misogynist asshole. (laughs) And the funny thing is thinking that, oh, that's he's taking that from the script. And then Carpenter saying in the commentary. Oh no! Most of that's improv, and I just kept it in just to show you what he really's like. <laughs> and I kind of love that because that's J- James Woods has always been like that. But uh, you know, we all saw him as this quirky, really mm-hmm. good character actor, which I will always
0: say he's a great character actor. Mm-hmm. But he's a piece of shit human being. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe Adam. maybe let's keep him uh, is in the kind of the Lester Diamond kind of characters. We can deal with him in that sense. In the sense that yes. he's a shithead who continuously gets the shit beaten out of him like, yeah, right. fine. Fine. Do that. More of that." Yeah, give me that, but I just don't speak about politics. Go away. <laughs> go go away with John Voight and have fun. <laughs> Lord. Uh but yeah, yeah, in 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 the mouth of madness, um yeah, it 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 does it does existential dread Better than I'd say. Tell me if you think I'm wrong about this, Mm James. Bold words. Better than any film I think we've covered on this podcast. I mean, I,
1: I, you know what? I'll, yeah, like I think better than a lot. You know, better than I think all Lovecraft adaptations themselves mm -hmm. that we've watched. And I'll say that the only one that almost matches it is Prince of Darkness. But yeah, but again, I think you're right. I, I think this does work that sense of dread better than really, like, yeah, like you said, all the films that we've watched. And that's kind of crazy when you think about it.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it helps that this is, as we've said, the third in a, like, a culmination of a series so that these um, real core pillars of what brings value and meaning to people are systematically broken down in each movie. We have the individual and the thing we have religion and God in Prince of Darkness and we have reality itself in this one. Um, And, and every other film that kind of tries to do that almost tries to do all of those things in one, in, in one, like, you know, fell swoop. And, you know, the void came pretty close to doing it pretty well. Um, and also had that a great mixture of the existential dread plus just the right amount of viscera. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it, you know, and I, I know we've beaten this, this dead horse multiple times, but just, yeah, there's not, there's not the focus on the viscera in this one. It, it takes time to delve into these larger themes, such as a, a, the destruction of free will or, or not even destruction, the absence of it. And, um, shows us just enough like it's a it's a wonderful bit of insight that you that you shared with when the carpenters thing where it's they had more of the creature stuff but then they cut more and more out of it because like well no we only want the hints and we don't want the focus to be i want more of these monsters because the monsters are not the point right um and re-watching this movie this time now that i've i've read more lovecraft stuff like Sutter Kane is an interesting character because he even admits, like, I thought these ideas were coming from me until I realized they were being fed to me from these old ones to put out into the world. And he's kind of a, like, he's a Nyarlathotep character in the sense of he is the voice piece or the surrogate for the old ones. Mm -hmm. He is going to sow some discord and some evilness and just really fuck up people's lives. um, Because he is aware of where he comes from. He is aware of who he speaks for and he's fine with it like he's he's pretty happy yeah. with it and which i think is
1: more evil than like you know maniacal like you know quote unquote villains in films like mm-hmm. he's a true villain that cuz he knows what he's doing is fucked up and he's basically helping destroy the world mm-hmm. and he's fine with that like he's he doesn't care about money anymore he doesn't care about fame because now he's going to have more than that mm-hmm. and that's like screwed up like you know that is a fucked up you know and and also it's kind of the concept of I know I don't know if at that time it really was like a thing for like Lovecraft ideas but like since then there's been a lot of these adaptations and comic books and stuff and kind of showing that Lovecraft himself went crazy throughout his life because he knew the stuff he was writing about were real Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean like like there's been like short films and stuff where lovecraft's like in a in a an insane asylum himself yeah speaking about like i you know it's not my fault i was just trying to warn the world yeah of these things and in doing so i've unleashed him. so that's like more of an like you know anti-hero not even a hero but like sadly a person that couldn't you know he couldn't even realize what he was doing but Sutter kane is like he's completely evil because he's given over to the to the old ones and he's okay with that being okay with that is actually more messed up than anything else like, <laughs> yeah. and like when he sees styles again for the first time in how many months or whatever he's been gone for mm-hmm. and what I find even crazier is that you know so the concept is that this book they're trying to find you know they're trying to find Sutter kane because they need this this newest book because it has to go to print, okay. But yet he, supposedly she has read it or at least most of it, yeah. Before okay, because she edits it, you know, and his agent has read it, but we see him finishing it in his world, mm-hmm. which is even weirder because like, because he's like continually writing this thing. It's almost like up until the last minute, now he has the perfect ending, and which is when he shows both of them in one way or another. Like when he shows her, like just pushes her head right into the page yeah. and the, and the flash of light. And then when he, he's in that weird, like, you know, um, is it supposed to be like in the church, like in a little like booth, you know, like for the priest, yeah, the, the
0: confessional booth, yeah. The confessional.
1: Yeah. And like when he's just all of a sudden, like next to him and just grabs him and pushes him into the confessional, like the, 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 the split. Yeah. And he sees everything that he's either seen already or he's about to see Mm -hmm. and it's kind of crazy to think that like this the book wasn't even completed yet it was driving people mad already Mm -hmm. and that's kind of like okay so these words and again it's kind of like the whole concept of words are powerful what you write can bring to fruition something so like i kind of like that too it's almost like a not, and and you know again they they joke about it in the uh, the commentary about Sutter Kane has like the same same like sense of Stephen King Sutter mm-hmm. Kane Stephen King like yeah. it's like they were saying like that's <clears throat> intentional that's all intentional like you have to hear his name over and over again to the point where you're like oh, okay yeah he's popular and like the whole idea of like the the novels all have like the cool painted art mm-hmm. and and again. I'm going to throw a weird, a weird curveball to you. So like, <laughs> right. and it's something that they describe. And now I'm going to watch this film even on a completely different level. Carpenter, being a film fan, has says in this commentary that he want because he said when Sam Neill signed on for this film, he saw it as a comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Carpenter starts laughing, going, and I can see that. So I saw him as a character in a Howard Hawks comedy, like a His Girl Friday. Which is why throughout the film, he has that weird tick of grabbing his ear, okay. just randomly. Mm-hmm. Like he just starts grabbing his ear. He had to convince Sam Neill to do that because of the Howard Hawks comparison, like the comedy. And then Sam Neill thought that was great. Mm-hmm. And the whole dynamic between her, him and Styles is like like Lana Turner type of, you know, like, like back and forth. And... It makes me watch it in a different way because it's like it's almost like he thinks it's all funny at first. Yeah. So it makes sense that it would feel like a Howard Hawks comedy, even though it's these horrible things they're about to see, but him going like, Huh, oh, whatever, you know, and then whenever he gets nervous he starts grabbing his ear because it's like him almost trying to but then again thinking that and then going, Wait, Sutter Kane created this guy to have these weird ticks of like it's almost a comedy. And almost like it's almost like a detective movie, too, because when he's looking at the covers and realizes it's a map of New Hampshire mm-hmm. within and puts it all together to find Hobbs End. Which, again, they pick New Hampshire, which, you know, makes sense. You know, that world, you know, like like Massachusetts, New Hampshire,
0: yeah, Maine, all the, yeah.
1: Maine, you know, and it's like. How could you not see like that this is like a Lovecraft pastiche? You know, like you have to see it. But I think if you watch it with the idea that Sam Neill is just convinced this is a comedy, <laughs> brings it up to a different level of like, oh my God. So that's why he's just almost like, not overacting, but the way he just acts sometimes, especially when it's just like, Oh shut! You know, fuck off! Like, 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 like he's just so pissed because like this
0: can't be freaking real. This can't be reality. This is reality. That's an interesting approach because it it almost in a way kind of uh, supplements or enhances this idea of um, a guy who who kind of makes the journey from comedy into tragedy and how thin of a line is there that separates those two, but yeah. not so much like. The recognition or or the realization that it's one or the other, almost that it's kind of cyclical where he starts in comedy and then he goes into tragedy and then cycles back into comedy because of how he kind of goes insane and how he that's what he has to do to make sense of this world that he is now in. um it's an right. that's a really interesting <laughs> um approach from sam Neil. um and yeah, it's it's funny that this is so. So obviously, a uh, that Sutter Kane is so obviously kind of an amalgamation of sure Stephen King, but also Lovecraft. I'm pulling this directly from the IMDb trivia, but mm-hmm. just that you know his his novels, Hobbes and Horror, The Feeding, The Whisper in the Dark, Something in yeah. the Cellar, The Breathing Tunnel, and Haunter Out of Time. Oh, yeah. uh, sounds suspiciously like the Dunwich Horror, The Whisper in Darkness, The Rats in the Walls, The Thing in the Doorstep, The Shadow Out of Time, and The Haunter of the Dark, and and. As as we uh, as I said at the beginning, like even even the way that Sam Neil is reading the the book describing the church that's pulled from, um, I believe the Haunter in the Dark or or, or uh, yes. the Haunter of the Darkness, and then and uh, and even the the um, the some of the descriptions are directly pulled from the Rats in the Walls. These are actually Lovecraft's texts being brought into this world um, to describe these. Eldritch horrors, these, this Cyclopean madness that they are going to encounter. And it, it actually, as we've been talking, I've been thinking more about the Sutter King character and just kind of thinking, even though the film doesn't delve too deeply into it, just think of this guy who his own arc was, I'm an author, I am creating these things because this is what I love, this is what brings joy to the people. and the, And he eventually has an arc and a gradual realization that, like, I am not doing this for me. I'm doing this because I'm predestined or or I've I've been told to do this by larger forces. And then he had the choice of, am I going to yeah. reject that or am I going to accept it? And he accepted it and leans into it. Um, but I, I also, based on the thing that you just said, I, I wanted to kind of segue into, mm-hmm. I need to talk about that I still have some problems with <laughs> this movie. And to be clear, I'm not saying I dislike this movie. Certainly, right. you know... Didn't love Event Horizon. I still stand by that. Um, <laughs> I really like In the Mouth of Madness, but I want to like it more than I do. There are some things that kind of hold me back, and I, I've been thinking about it the last couple days, and we've been talking about it. And I, I think it's, I think it comes down to this point. And tell me if you think it's it's blasphemous, both James and listeners. This the movie and the script think it's more mysterious than it actually is in the sense of like, yeah, there's a little bit of detective mystery in there, but it's actually pretty straightforward in the sense of the, the plot or the premise is um, rational guy who thinks he's in control of his life, realizes that he is a character in a story and he has no control over it. But the film kind of obfuscates this with a lot of sort of genre tropes and weird, horror visuals that if if we're looking at them in the context of all of these were created by this guy Sutter Kane to get this insurance investigator to arrive at a certain logical point a lot of them are not redundant but they don't seem to add anything they don't seem to push him there there's a lot of things where it's sort of like this doesn't really make any logical sense in the in in the context of a, a large a, a creator pushing his creation to an ultimate revelation. So, for instance, mm-hmm. um, you and I talked about this off mic, but there's certain things, and, and I know you had some thoughts on this. But like uh, that that group of children who are just kind of randomly running around, um, it's it's kind of spooky. It doesn't. Yeah. I and I, I know. I, I guess the 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 men in the town are kind of like, well, Sutter Kane has taken our kids, and but like why or how I don't really get that. Or even the um, when they're allegedly lost and driving at night, and there's that guy they pass on the bike, and then when they pass him again, he's much older. But, like, why... I get that idea of, like, this is a written character who can't escape from this, but then why, why go through the aging thing other than just, like, that's a spooky visual to kind of throw in? There's a bunch of stuff that don't seem to... that, that kind of seem like filler to, to kind of pad a runtime or to... um make us feel a certain way even though it doesn't seem like it's earned and even having said that i don't think i've expressed it properly but there's just there's there's extraneous stuff in here that i just don't think that i think kind of distracts from the main story
1: no i I know what you mean and like off my um what i what i thought of, of it was um you know john trent when he's speaking about Sutter Kane. He's reading the books because he wants to get a feel of who this guy is, even through his horror novels. And he's when he's talking on the phone about them, he's describing the books as like not run of the mill, but like basically like any other horror novels, like like a Stephen King novel or something like that. But they're maybe because they're better written that but his head hurts because of it. So I don't know, and and you could take that in multiple ways now. Like, is his head hurting because he's like you know is slowly realizing that he's a creation, or is it because it has that effect on people no matter what? But also the whole thing with the tropes of like creepy kids and you know, um, uh hotel, sweet granny hotel owner mm-hmm. is actually um like m- like hacks up her husband, which is in one of the books. Mm-hmm. In You know, in the Hobbs End book. So, and then if you look at all that and then, you know, the main father, um, the actor who played Vigo from Ghostbusters 2, mm-hmm. um, when he realizes he's a creation and kills himself because that's how he's written. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah, I agree with you in the sense that creepy kids, it, it doesn't make sense. No, it really doesn't. But we see like, you know, this guy's kid, his son is is captured like the other children and they get corrupted Mm -hmm. but that's in the book that's like in his creation so it's it's very weird because like you look at it you can look at it as just straight up okay he's corrupting these kids and then like they become violent and like awful like you know like the when we see the father again he has a big bite mark on his face like this is a five-year-old who did this to me yeah you know but then you look at it as if this is Sutter Kane creating this, he's just doing it for fun. He's creating these like characters so he can torment them mm-hmm. in their own personal hell, which makes it awful like that he's doing this. Like why would you do that if you know that you're doing this to people? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're doing this on purpose now and you're having fun. Like like when you see Sutter Kane, he's always gleeful. Oh, yeah. He's always happy. He's always... He's not... How dare you? He's more like... Even when... Like, when... um, <laughs> Trent says, oh, you're, you're you're a shitty writer. Like, all you see is a flash of light. That's the anger. But that's <laughs> yeah. it. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't go like, I'll fucking beat the shit out of you. No, he has... He has Styles do that at one point. Just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> and he just runs away. But... No, I and I agree. Like, you know, the weird tropes of that and stuff. But... If you look, I, I I think the more I've watched it, the more I just think of it as this is just a a maniacal like piece of shit who just enjoys and revels in the torment of his creations. This makes it more awful, like makes him just an awful person that is being given this power, and he could have used it for good. Mm-hmm. He could have made a freak. He could have made a happy land, you know, like like beautiful people and just like again. How awful this guy is that he creates a world where he has a painting with a couple that slowly become Lovecraftian beasts, which is what he's going to do to all these people when the old ones are released. Mm-hmm. That's what they become. We we hear that about people becoming monsters at the end, you know, and killing and, you know, suicide is through the roof and, and – yeah, like, I, I, I see your complaint, and I and I actually agree with a lot of it. I just think I look at it as this guy who's just so evil that he just likes writing that. Like, hey, you know what? Creepy children. I mean, Stephen King did it in Children of the Corn, so I could do it, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's almost like a lot of stuff that Stephen King wrote mixed with Lovecraft because – when people talk about Stephen King, a lot – you know, even people that don't like Stephen King will say, you know, I don't really like the ideas. It's kind of corny, but he's a pretty good writer. Like mm-hmm. he actually knows how to write yeah. good characters and stuff. He doesn't always land the ending. See, Sutter Kane lands the ending, <laughs> the ultimate ending of the world. He but does, yeah. Stephen King doesn't always land the ending, but that's fine. You know, like it's – I mean endings are freaking hard. Oh, yeah. Endings are almost impossible. That's why – I, I'm just grateful that in the mouth of Madness doesn't end with Sutter Kane becoming a big spider. <laughs> <laughs> then we would have seen it straight up. Oh, okay, you yeah, know you're really making fun of <laughs> Stephen King, but <laughs> you know, the film built up for me before I even saw it as a as a teen because mm-hmm. whenever the trailer, you know, whenever the, the commercial would come on, my mom would like shut the TV off. Like with or switch the channel. And I'm like, why? Like and my mom is creeped out by, like, people that draw on themselves. Like, you know, if you have, like, not tattoos, but, like, you could tell, like, the drawing. Like, just something about that. I'm like, and it always really stuck with me that that creeped her out. She never <laughs> saw the film, but she saw that, and that would, like, mess with her. And I think when she saw the film, finally, that still was the creepiest part to her. Him drawing these crosses on himself as a – was it, is it supposed to be a sense of protection? Like protecting himself with the, you know, you know what I mean, because he doesn't seem like a religious man at all. No, and, and but is and, he finding God now? But yet he's not finding anything.
0: And, and I, I guess that 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 is sort of another example of sort of how it sort of typifies. Like if we if we accept right. the premise that all of what we are witnessing is being written by Sutter Kane, then Sutter Kane is putting a lot of stuff in there which he knows are redundancies or ineffective, like. If this guy's already gone insane, yeah. Why is he putting over Because he knows it's not protecting him from Again. anything. And well, I
1: think it's because he just wants to torment him.
0: Ma- yeah, maybe. I, I guess. And and I guess that's you. You that's say cruel. that. Yeah. And, and I guess that's the only way I can make this all make sense. Because right. yeah, even when uh, Vigo the Carpathian kills himself, I, I don't. I don't remember <laughs> the actor's name, but um, you know, right before he he shoots himself in the head, he says like. You know something like uh, this is this is how he wrote me like that that's but but right. that that idea or that concept of you know um, of I am going to do this horrible thing because that's what I've been destined to do that's how I've been written. Not only is it the main story of Trent and and his arc of ultimately realizing that, but on a a, a, a slightly smaller scale, that's also the the realization or the arc that styles comes upon as well um so i i don't i'm not expressing this very clearly but it just kind of seems like if if all this is written by sutter kane then sutter kane has written a lot of stuff with um yeah he's done it because he can which isn't a good in my mind explanation but at least it is an explanation where like uh yeah look at the power that i'm going to have over these plebeians i'm going to torture them i'm going to uh break them until ultimately um i bring about the end of the world which is a uh, that's that's kind of mean yeah i get that yeah. no and I, I i oh by the way the actor is uh, wilhelm von homburg <laughs> that's, um that's what it
1: which is. is funny you had you know him and then you have sutter kane is um jürgen prock now from das boot mm-hmm. and other and house of the dead you know that's the one i'll bring up because it's a shitty film but he's great in it not a great actor not a great you know German Eastern European actor but um yeah i i think it's it's funny because then you think like he's becoming a god now in this world but him writing these awful things and about people and when you know when he realizes that he has his power from the these beings that have t- you know need him to that's probably the most awful human thing that he, that still connects him to our world is that he's cruel You know, the old ones aren't cruel. Mm -hmm. They just devour. They just destroy. That's just what they are. That's what they do. They're not doing it because of evil glee. Yeah. Sutter Kane will transcend into that at one point. Let you know. Let's say, but I think him doing this awful stuff is just still, sadly, what makes him human. And that's actually like actually scarier than anything. That it's like, oh. You had a choice, and you still say, "Eh, fuck them." Like, yeah, but they're creations. Yeah, so what? <laughs> I'll kill. I'll, I'll make them realize that they have to kill themselves because that's what I wrote, mm-hmm. which is awful. Like, you know, imagine like you just have, you know, like you thought you had a life, and then all of a sudden, like, no, none of that's real, and now you're ending your life because that's what I want, and it and it's kind of creepy because then like once he escapes Hobbs End. Hobbs End doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's gone. Mm-hmm. It's completely, and then we see a young Hayden Christensen as the paper boy, <laughs> yeah. which is fucking weird. <laughs> um, and then the weirdest thing about, like, you know, not not the weirdest thing. This film has a lot of weird stuff, but that he's trying to destroy this manuscript throughout his, his travel back to New York City, and then ultimately finding out that he gave the manuscript months ago. Mm-hmm. Which is crazier that if you believe all this stuff that he's a creation of Sutter Kane, somehow Sutter Kane wrote that he wouldn't remember that he brought back the, the manuscript, that he convinced himself that he's trying to fight this thing that he could never fight anyway. He's already done it, mm-hmm. it's already been in publication for seven weeks. The movie's coming out, the world's over. Yeah. There's no, there's no saving it, no matter what.
0: I I think here's what it is I think here's what it is for me is that um it's it's not even at the very end of the movie that we mm-hmm. are presented with and accept the fact that everything that has happened has been written to happen we right. we we get there halfway through the movie I guess you know yeah yeah, and I, then,
1: I, I mean, yeah, and his realizations maybe like three fourths into it.
0: Yeah, like he he doesn't fully accept it, but the universe or the film has presented that to us, and it's just a matter of watching him spiral down into finally going mad mm-hmm. and accepting it. And I think that's what it is: is that once the film arrives at that um, revelation for us, it kind of doesn't know fully what to do afterwards because that was the big revelation, and then we just kind of have to then watch the characters spin their wheels in it a little bit. So, like, for yeah, for instance, um, the first half of the movie, which is, or even the first third or, or what have you, which is a bit of the mystery, he keeps having these dreams, especially of, like, the police officer beating that guy in the alley. You want some of this? Buddy. Yeah, and, and I, I don't, like, I don't think... I really can comprehend what the purpose of that is. It's not to lure him to Hobbs End because he's already going to be going there. Right. So it's like what is the what is the ultimate purpose of those kind of things? And then once he figures this out, or 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 not once the film figures it out, what is there left to do? Because that scene when he's on the bus when Sutter Kane's like, Did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue? Visually it's a really cool oh. sequence. But Beautiful. we already know he has full control over this world, so that sequence kind of becomes redundant and just thrown in there for for fun, I guess.
1: Well, again, if if, if you're going by like my my take on the on the film and the characters that are he's just having fun now. Yeah. It's not even about like he's already he's won. He won from the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, You know, like you know, and that's how you know, if you want to look at it as a nihilistic take, yeah, he's won. The world's over. It's just, like you said, almost like the characters are spinning the wheels. And like, you know, Styles still being normal. But then when she becomes like another vessel for Sutter Kane to play with, like when she's trying to kiss him in the car and he's like, what are you doing? Like, oh, he wrote this in. I have to kiss you. Yeah. Like, it's creepy that, that she's realizing that.
0: And, and even even talking this out now, I, I'm, I'm sort of. Recognizing, there's a bit of a, I guess, inherent contradiction within me in the sense of I keep saying, give me a movie which is, perfectly Lovecraftian and how it depicts existential dread and this, uh, you know, this idea of an inescapable fate and destiny. And now here's a movie where it's like, well, here you go. And I'm still complaining about it. Um, I, I recognize that there, there's there's some, uh, there's some weirdness there. But yeah, th- this movie does do a great job, and and you just mentioned, of this, of, like, he's won, he's won from the beginning. As soon as Sam Neill accepts the job, even before that, because he was written to accept the job to set him on this fate, like, it's just, it's that idea of the cards weren't even dealt when the movie began. The cards were dealt right. before the movie even started.
1: Yeah, and 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 to think that, you know, it, when you look at it like that, it's, like, really, like, oh, my God, it's actually a lot more thought into it at least from from me trying to come up with well why would he even do that well if you look at it as Sutter Kane wrote all this he wrote he wrote this character that the agent reads about in the book goes mad and tries to find him finds him and tries to kill him mm-hmm. like and asks him do you read Sutter Kane which is a creepy thing to ask to a creation. <laughs> Like you know what I mean? Like, like when you look at it at that, you go, "What the fuck?" And then it's all cyclical because then he becomes mad and kills someone the same way with the axe. Yeah. Another, mm-hmm. another follower, a, a reader of Sutter Kane, and and again, this film. And I think what I like about the the repeated shots of like, like three three shots of like him trying to escape and coming back, mm-hmm. him, you know, the the kid on the bike, you know it's these repeated shots. And then we see it again later when she's on the back of the bike and like, like it plays with that reality or lack of reality that this world is just this bubble, this creation of Sutter Kane. that he just, it's like his, I'm trying to think like, it's almost like in a lot, like a lot of like sci-fi stuff to work that in. Like I, hell, when I think about it, it reminds me of. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the, um, the Claymation movie, uh, The Adventures of Mark Twain. A long, long time ago. Okay. So there's one scene in it when they go to this kind of barren world, like barren, like, like almost like a meteor. Mm-hmm. And they meet this character, and you don't find out until a little later that it's actually Satan. Oh. And Satan's having fun creating people. Like, little clay people. Little, mm. like, from, from the ground. And then just to fuck with them, he starts introducing jealousy mm. and torment and disease and, like, like all this stuff. And then by the end, they all kill each other. And he's just to show these children and Mark Twain what he could do. And it's like, this is a kid's fucking movie. You know, and it almost feels the same way. And, like, it, like... Creeps me out to feel like that, like that someone just would do that and like have fun, you know. And 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 you know, and it kind of reminds me of that. Like I, I think the film, you know, that film itself, you know, there's some cool stuff, but like that whole Satan scene, which you can find on YouTube, is one of the creepiest things <laughs> ever created because <laughs> it's claymation, so it looks really weird and cool. Yep. But again, it shows the power of what. What if you had the power to create? People And, you know, to create these things like video games have that, you know, like Sim City. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm going to destroy my city today or, or the Sims. <laughs> yep. oh, you know what? I'm going to take away that ladder from that guy in the pool. So he's going to drown. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you do that? Yeah. But, you know, you have that power of a quote unquote God. Sometimes you, you know, sometimes people go, what if it what, what would it feel like to be evil?
0: And that's kind of like telling you know yeah or or even just the idea of yeah how how horrifying is well just because i mean i i i spent a a good deal of my of my travels today listening to um as tied into jerry smith the pod and the pendulum Mm -hmm. episode that they did from last december talking about why rob zombies halloween is very bad um and part of the reason being Here's all an explanation of why Michael Myers is the way he is. But it's more right. it's more horrifying if it's just like, why? Dunno. I don't know. That's just a thing. And that goes back to even, you know, Shakespeare and Othello after after Iago has done all of his shit and it's like, hey, why did you do this? And he gives no answer and just gets pulled off, like Yeah. Just because I guess. Which um, is
1: worse. Yeah, yeah. I I, I agree. I like it it's almost the and that's the problem with like a lot of movies and books and stuff now that they try to describe or explain why. Like my my fear is that if in the mouth of madness did really well, like I'm talking about, made hundreds of millions of dollars, this mm-hmm. huge horror hit, and you know they never made a sequel. But then 2021, they go, you know what? We're gonna make the Sutter Kane movie. <laughs> I'm gonna show his breakdown when he decides to yeah. go. I don't want to see that. Yeah. I don't want to see like oh because he had a broken heart. <laughs> and you know, you know what I mean like, like like no don't give me that I want to like I want to have this idea of like kind of like the idea of like Lovecraft never really describing 100% these creatures I don't want to know all that backstory give me like you know what he's just an awful person we'll never know why but we can come up with reasons why mm-hmm. and come up with our you know reasoning as to well why would he do that well maybe it's this or maybe he's just 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 an awful
0: person yeah you know (laughs) well and and also uh, i think if we if we really spend even just a minute to think about it like sutter kane's story is trent's story only they 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 both went along with it eventually just they had different roles to play in this story but uh, i think we should probably have an eye towards wrapping up so i i think (laughs) james since we are here at the end of carpenter's apocalypse trilogy for you how would you rank these three movies in the sense of your uh, – in Anyway, favorite, best, whatever.
1: Okay. um, <clears throat> That's an interesting – it's hard because o- it always changes. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. Yep. So today like, – and it's funny because I, I absolutely love this film, mm-hmm. but it's my third favorite of the three.
0: Hey.
1: Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's how much I love these films. Like I always kind of rank them – most of the time, The Thing is number one. Mm-hmm. Prince of Darkness, in the mathematics, sometimes Prince of Darkness takes over the thing, not often, but sometimes. It, it really, it's it's what I watched Prince of Darkness with someone that hasn't seen it, and then they'll like see stuff that, like, oh okay you noticed that, oh what's that oh okay you actually didn't like that character that's interesting you know what I mean mm-hmm. little things like that but, and then in the mathematics which I think like you said is the most Lovecraftian of all three, I think that's what actually almost even though I love it. Kind of keeps it on the bottom of the three because hmm. I the nihilism sometimes just depresses me. <laughs> no, knowing that this character, there's no way Sam Neil is getting out of this shit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of depressing, you know what I mean? Because even though he's kind of a dick, he's not. He's not evil. Yeah. He's not a bad person. He just does his job really well. Yeah. That's you know, is that a fault? Like he's good at his job. Just so happens that he doesn't have a lot of friends because of it, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he actually has turned on friends before, according to what Sutter Kane has written, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so it's almost to make him, like, kind of unlikable, but but by the end, when you realize all this stuff, you feel bad. Yeah. You don't necessarily like him, but you just feel awful about, oh, my God, like, that's all created. That's terrible. But, so, which is why it's always on the bottom, because, you know, no matter what, how cynical I've ever been, sometimes I need a little, like, even the thing, you know, it's not, it's not happy ending, but knowing that like at least one of them is still human. And I'm sorry to say, I'll always say that. Like I hate revisionist (laughs) video games and fucking comic (laughs) books that I, I always like to say that at least one of them is human. And I like to think that the more depressing thing is that if both of them were human and it just frees to death, you know, (laughs) like they're both dead, like going to die, you know, and Prince of Darkness has that. And, you know, like, you know, is it still there? Can it still escape? So they all have like these depressed, but I think this one, even though it's the most gleeful, depressing ending, I I just think like the, the travel of John Trent is just a sad one that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all written that way. And that's, and, and it works. It works because of that, but that's my long winded answer saying that, you know, it's, it's the third of it, but it, but it's, me loving it is still, that's a high compliment of like, yeah, you know, it's a third of three really good films, Mm.
0: you know? Yeah. How about you? I don't have much to add to that. I think I'm pretty much with you. Like I, I, if I were to get snooty about it and say like, (laughs) I have one list for, in terms of what I think of, uh, of them just as standalone films and another one as like, as Lovecraftian spiritual films. But I, 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 I don't think you can separate those two. You shouldn't. Um, so I, I'd probably echo your sentiments in the sense of In the Math of Madness, definitely number three. Um, and yeah, depending on the day, The yeah. Thing and Prince of Darkness kind of swap each other out for like which one is number one. Like I think The Thing is kind of unmatched when it comes to Carpenter's direction. Uh, uh-huh. But Prince of Darkness, just in terms of from the very beginning, how I feel or how the film like depicts certain things when like things are going to go very bad. Um, yeah. The thing kind of slowly unfolds, but Prince of Darkness, from the very beginning, you're like, I don't feel good about where this is going. And sure enough, yeah, it, it does not turn out well for anyone, and will not, as that film reveals, will not in perpetuity turn out well for anyone. So right. I, I don't know. And I mean, the thing's got Kurt Russell. Yes, that's
1: <laughs> and as Kurt Russell, Keith David, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, and, and then the creature effects by Rob Bottin are, I I still say unmatched, you 100%. know, so I think that's, so I think that's kind of like, and again, that's like the first of those three that I obsessed over, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a teen, you know, watching the thing going, this is the greatest film ever. And still to this day, you know, it's in my top 10 yeah. and like of, of films ever made. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? It still works. Like, you know. It's still – and it's a film that like when I find out somebody hasn't seen like The Thing, it's like that's always
0: the first that I'm going to show. And then it,
1: Prince of Darkness and then In the Mouth of Madness.
0: You know what? That That's the thing. I think maybe having you say that cements it for like The Thing number one, number two. Because mm-hmm. like if I hear people say I've never seen The Thing, I'm like, you have to. Like and here. If someone says I've never seen Prince of Darkness, I'd be like, well – here are some caveats, basically. Like, so I have to, you know, it's like, you should see it if X, Y, or Z, but if you're not right. interested in that, then, yeah, maybe see The Thing. So it, that, That's a good point, yeah. You know, so so maybe it's that, you know, The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and um, In the Mouth of Madness. But that uh, is it for this episode and for the month of October. Um, James, Happy Halloween. Do you have any plans for um, funny, COVID Halloween? Funny you mention, um, originally... It
1: was just going to be a simple – because it's – I go on vacation mm. for the Halloween week up until that weekend. Okay. And which is going to be great. Um, but a lot of movie watching that week, I'm going to make sure. sure. But but the funny thing is originally it was just going to be my girlfriend and I just kind of relaxing all day, watching movies, eating candy, Ooh. whatever. Sounds good. Um, now we found out that um, one of her best friends is getting married. <laughs> okay. On Halloween. All right. And – Like for a day or two, we were going to go to the actual wedding, which I was like, I really don't want to go to a wedding at this time, but whatever. But now I guess because we're friends and like she, you know, the friend of hers is she knows the wedding parts, the stressful part Mm -hmm. is doing like this, like rented this big place. And it's not going to have a lot of people like less than like 30 people but rented a whole like hall. So it's going to be very spaced out in, I think long, I think long Island somewhere like okay. deep out there. And going to have like a lunch, but like a Halloween lunch where everyone has to get dressed up. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. So that part I'm like, okay. I, I, and it's a lunch. So I was like, okay, good. So then we could leave and still have a nice Halloween night too. And we kind of been coming up with, um, costume ideas now and, I'm, we're probably going to do a couple's costume. first time I do a couple's costume in God knows how long. But <laughs> I kind of like thought doing a 50s couple, but like a zombie couple. Very nice. Like we've been, we've been bidding. I'm like the one with the Letterman jacket type of type, type of deal or mm-hmm. type of sweater thing. And she'll have like the long poodle skirt type of <laughs> thing. You know? So, yeah. So, I, I, you know, knock on wood, it'll be uneventful. But meaning like no COVID shit, you know, like please. Sure. None. Yeah. Because that's what's killing me right now. The – if if people know the world of New York City and like the clusters that are starting to grow again.
0: Yeah.
1: Because of that, my uh, nights have been very rough at work because we're getting extra trucks because of two stores that are closed because of it. So – Yeah. So I'm dealing with that right now.
0: Well – How about you? Uh, are you doing for- I mean as of this – recording, uh, nothing like, I mean, sure. not even That's... like, not even like, oh, there's a couple things maybe. And we just have those like <laughs> nothing. No. I mean, maybe that means it'll just be a, a night of let's not turn the lights on and just watch some scary movies. I, I would like to show my wife trick or treat. I have not been able to do that. And, uh, I feel particularly inspired because I've, I've said this on Twitter. I'm not joking. My favorite thing on shutter is the ghoul log. Oh, the blue lock's awesome, and the one that they have this year, which was yeah. inspired by Michael Doherty and Trick or Treat. I, I watched the. I just sat on my couch and just watched the entirety of it. Um, it's it's wonderfully festive. It's got it's got the wonderful kind of like vibes and sounds that put me back in the minds of like ah, oh, I'm in the suburbs and there's trick or treaters outside and it's getting a little bit late in the night and so like what are those noises I'm hearing and where are they coming yeah. from? Um, a nice. lot of fun little visual and audio Easter eggs when you're watching that thing. Um, so that, that's a, that's a movie I would like to get to. And then of course I, I've tried every year hmm. for the last 10 years or so, like my tradition is watching John Carpenter's Halloween. So, um, okay. I, I'm a man of simple taste. So maybe that, I, I mean, maybe something a, little, a little bigger will happen, but as of right now, there are no solid plans. We do though, the cast of Cthulhu have plans for November. Nice. Um, and that is, um, two Older cinematic classics that we had wanted to get to, but never could because they were never available, are now available. And so we're talking, of course, about um, 1968's Curse of the Crimson Altar and 1963's The Haunted Palace, which I believe the latter is the very first cinematic adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft, um, Mm -hmm. produced by Roger Corman. Uh, the Haunted Palace, a uh, taken from a Poe story, but it is, I believe, the the case of Charles Dexter Ward is the, the story they are telling, so both yeah. of which are now available, so we will be covering both of those in November, so be um, very excited about that. Um, As always, easy enough to get in touch with us, moviesofmadness at gmail.com, James is fistful of media at Twitter, I am Nolan Fixes Teeth on Twitter, and I have been... Announcing this wrong for probably months. We are not Facebook.com slash the cast of Cthulhu. We are Facebook.com slash Cthulhu cast. So, okay. Sorry about
1: that. Well, if you search for cast of Cthulhu, yeah, you'll find
0: it. And, And then, of course, we are cast Cthulhu on Twitter. But that, uh, yeah, that does it for October. That does it for In the Mouth of Madness. That does it for John Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. So, um to you james and to the listeners happy halloween um COVID sucks the pandemic sucks whatever you are doing please wear a mask both over your face and over your entire head uh, yes. depending on what you're doing stay safe stay healthy whether you're trick-or-treating watching movies or doing nothing we uh we want this pandemic to be over as soon as possible if for nothing else and for james to get some goddamn rest once and for all please please Um, But yeah, listeners, thank you for um, tuning in. And I suppose uh, since this episode will be going up after it, I should also um, thank Mia Johnson for appearing on our um, Lovecraft Country um, series season finale recap. I don't know. I'm... I'm wondering if they're going to do a second season. Obviously, the book is is only you know this season, but uh, right, it seems like it's gained enough traction and ground. Like I'd like to see them try to take it in 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 a of uh, their own direction. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, I, I hope that you have all enjoyed our October offerings. I've we've I know both had a lot of fun partaking in the conversations, the reviews. It's been a wonderful Halloween season, I think. So I hope that you have all enjoyed it as well. So um yeah listeners next time we'll be covering uh curse of the crimson altar but in the meantime we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead cthulhu in his house in Rilia. don't ring his doorbell he won't answer